Welcome to The Haunting Hour. My name is Ryan Brown, and this is The Haunting Hour Podcast. This show is all about the paranormal, true crime, and the horror genre in general. Each week, me and my brother will dive into a new topic, focusing on some aspect of these. Uh, dude, are you gonna introduce me at some point? <laughs> Sorry, bro. Um, and tonight, I am joined alongside my brother, Tyler. Ty, how we doing? I'm doing awesome on this Monday evening, little brother. Monday evening. Yes, you guys heard that right. That's when me and Tyler tend to jump into the studio here, and that's when we're going to bring you guys this podcast. So if you're ever wondering what we're doing on a Monday night, it's probably cracking open a cold one and talking spooky shit. So Ty, you want to give a little background about me and you and you know, just about this podcast in general? Yeah, I thought you did great as far as introductions go. You summed up exactly what we like to talk about here at The Haunting Hour. Ryan and I got into the horror genre at a young age. I feel like Halloween trick-or-treating kind of vaulted us into the spooky sort of lifestyle. 100% I agree with that. And then as we got older and were able to watch you know, your 80s and 90s horror movies, I think we just got pulled into it more. Things like Friday the 13th, things like Nightmare on Elm Street, things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Things like Jaws. Which is probably the most underrated horror movie of all time. I think people just assume it's like a... I I kind of put that in with like your summer movies. But I watched it recently because it's aired on AMC almost every other week. And um, when Brody is chumming. Yes. And he's like talking back to the captain Mm -hmm. and then you see the shark for you see the shark for like the first official time yeah you actually see it's like mouth yeah it actually comes out of the water oh my i I, like my fear of sharks it just got like top tiered again i can understand why people never returned into the water um during the 70s when that movie came out so movies like that kind of spawned this this um introduction to the horror genre for both ryan and myself and then when we got a little bit older um, we got into paranormal investigating and then further still, we got into the horror music scene. Mm. So I feel like most aspects of our life kind of led us into making this haunting hour podcast. Very well said, Tyler. I also wanted to add one more thing in there. I would also like to blame our mother for some aspect of this. This is like a little Norma, Norma Bates to me and Tyler's Norman Bates here. Our mom used to force like scary, uh, original, like scary audio books to us we would leave like the library when we were what fucking six years old or something and our mom would always put in these they were kind of like scary stories to tell in the dark but they were way creepier it was uh in a dark dark room and the dude with the giant teeth if you guys are horror fans at all you guys probably know what i'm talking about but that's where it all stemmed from for me i think i feel like that's where the fear stemmed from but then our interest in it um because do you remember the happy sad movies? Yeah, oh my god, with um the creepy ass hands in the beginning. Yes, and they would like do the weird they like fold and like talk. It was very strange. Uh Teeny Tiny and the Witch Woman. We used to watch those as childs. It's all coming back to Yeah, me now. the three robbers. Yep. Uh all all of those little short stories, right? Those short movies. Um, I think that scared me enough where I was like, Wow, this is I'm scared, but I'm also really intrigued by what's going on in these movies, why people are afraid of different uh, like anthology stuff, because there were different movies in each cassette. 
Right. And some of them scared me and some didn't. And then I was thinking to myself, like, why does this movie scare me and not you? And then I, I, I dived a little bit into what the entire, you know, horror world was and I fell in love with it. Also, it's a, it's fun fact to touch upon that me and Tyler both went to the University of Maine and, uh, Tyler's love for Stephen King really, really skyrocketed throughout high school and college. Um, then it kind of rubbed off on me once I went there because Stephen King used to be a professor there. And me and Tyler ended up living, what, across town from Mr. King when we lived in Bangor. And right down the end of our street, a couple streets over, was where he actually got the inspiration for Pennywise the first time. So every time me and Tyler would go to the bar during college, we would kind of have to walk past those specific areas and horror just kind of followed us throughout our entire lives yeah it was really cool to see where stephen king got his inspiration for things like pet cemetery uh which was a cemetery up in mount hope cemetery up in bangor like ryan said we got to see like the actual great where stephen king imagined seeing a clown in the sewer and a little kid in like a, a yellow slicker jacket so it was really cool to see how like the arguably the the best uh horror author mind in our generation to see where he kind of got his inspiration for some of that stuff and again that just just reignited the wow there's a whole different aspect to the horror genre other than things like movies and paranormal investigating things like that and then me and Tyler had a brief stint together where we paranormal investigated I'm going to build off that a little bit here and we jumped into that field for a God, what, five years, six years? We still do it part-time, part um, but we wanted a different a different way where we could continue talking about horror and hopefully get a couple fans along the way that we can interact with and kind of give our personal opinions and our, our takes on different horror topics, whether those be true crime, uh, paranormal, haunted houses, UFOs, all those good things feel like to be versed well in any topic you have to have a broad perspective on it and being in a paranormal investigating group really kind of showed me that there are things out there so I wasn't really a skeptic before but this proved to me that there were entities ghosts spirits whatever you want to call it and I think we frequently reference what we did for those five or six years Tonight, we are actually going to jump into our first official episode here, and we're going to be talking all about Lizzie Borden. Ty, what do you know about Lizzie Borden? Anything good? The only real thing I know about Lizzie Borden and the Lizzie Borden house is that she used an axe to kill X amount of people. I also think no one was like charged for the crime, right? Correct. All right. So that's, that is the extent of what I know though. Very nice. Um, Ty, this actually happened. I'm not going to say this happened in our backyard, but this happened in our neck of the woods. Me and Tyler are from New England and this story happened in Fall River, Massachusetts. And I think that's another reason we actually like horror so much because we live in, in my opinion, the scariest part of the entire United States. I would argue it's either Southwest Skinwalkers, Skinwalker Ranch, mm -hmm. right? UFOs, uh, weird, like the Nevada um, mutants from the nuclear testing. Oh, yep. Or New England. You pick. Either or is very scary. Ty, want to crack open a cold beer here, buddy? Let's get into it, huh? What are you drinking tonight? This evening, I have a Baltimore Blonde Guinness Draft. Ooh, very Jason Momoa of you. It is outstanding. It's a little bit lighter than a standard Guinness. 
so you can really slam these. Um, <laughs> but it is the same alcohol percentage, so that's a huge plus. Very nice. I got me a nice cold Michelob Ultra watching the carbs. But all right, here we go. So Lizzie Borden. So Lizzie Borden was born July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. She was the second daughter to Sarah Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. Her father was of English and Welsh descent. He eventually prospered in the manufacture and sales of furniture, and get this, as well as caskets. After this, he became a very successful property developer, and he was director of several textile mills and owned considerable commercial properties within Massachusetts. At his death, his estate was valued at $300,000. In today's money, that's equivalent to $9 million. So this guy was a very prominent figure back in uh, Fall River. But despite his wealth, Andrew Borden was very, very stingy with his money, I'm going to say. He was very cheap. For instance, the Borden home lacked indoor plumbing, although this was very common at the time. What the hell did they do? They just go take a piss in the woods? I do oh, believe- chamber pots. That they was had- a real thing back then, right? They had chamber pots, yes. But this guy had this amount of money where he could have easily put it into his house. He just chose not to. Dude, uh, I never really thought about indoor plumbing and how important it is. But in Hercules, when um, one of the three witches. The cartoon Hercules? The cartoon, the okay. 1997 Hercules. She's um, she's like talking to Hades about the future. Mm-hmm. And then she like nudges one of the little demons and she's like, indoor plumbing. It's going to be big. <laughs> I do remember that. I feel like going from a chamber pot to uh, indoor plumbing was one of, if not the biggest, uh, like, accomplishments in human history. And this fucking guy wouldn't even do this for his family. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he knows he can't take the money with him when he goes, right? Apparently, apparently not. I don't know. Unless he came back to haunt it for the money. Ooh, spoiler alert, maybe. So Lizzie Borden had an older sister named Emma, and she was born in 1851, so she was nine years older than Lizzie. So Lizzie Borden's mom, Sarah, ended up passing away in 1863. Andrew then ended up marrying a woman named Abby Gray. And Lizzie, after everything was said and done with the story I'm going to get into, she stated that she used to call her stepmother Mrs. Borden. And it was said that they had a very, very rocky relationship for as long as they knew each other. Lizzie believed that Abby had married her father just for his wealth. Bridget Sullivan, um, who the Bordens called Maggie, she was the Bordens' 25-year-old live-in maid who had immigrated to the United States from Ireland. She ended up testifying after all this and said that Lizzie and her sister Emma rarely ate meals with their parents, if not at all. So you can tell that there's a little, I'm going to use this word a lot in this episode, there was a lot of tension between everybody in this family. Yeah, it has the evil stepmother vibes to it a little bit. Not in the good way, not like... Stepmom, stepmom, you know? <laughs> like, help me, I'm stuck. Oh, please. Stepmom. Yes, like that. This has the, yeah, the evil Disney stepmom. So now I'm going to talk about why things were so tense with this family and kind of where it started. It's going to sound kind of ridiculous at first, but I'll build off of it. So in May of 1892, Andrew, the patriarch of the family, ended up killing multiple pigeons near his barn with a hatchet, believing that they were attracting local children to hunt them in his yard, which he didn't want. It ended up that Lizzie Borden had recently built a roost for all the pigeons, and it was said that she was extremely, extremely upset 
when she found her father killing him because she did all this work to invite these birds to come in in like a safe area. But then she comes out one day and finds her dad chopping their heads off with a hatchet. How the fuck did he kill them and catch them with a hatchet and not a gun? I don't know. That's actually good because I know a roost is kind of like a where if anybody's seen like a little chicken farm, that's where they all the birds probably flew in there, but you'd still have to catch them. So after this, um, later on this this exact year in July, the family ended up having an argument, a huge argument that nobody found out the root cause of. So the family freaking blew up, and it ended up that both sisters, so Lizzie and Emma, had to take extended quote here vacations in New Bedford. After returning to Fall River within the following weeks, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the family residence. So even though she took this extended stay away from the family, even when she got back to Fall River, she did not want to go back to the house. After this, it was said that tensions began to grow more within the family, especially when Emma and Lizzie found out that the patriarch of the family, Andrew, gave gifts of real estate to various branches of their stepmom's family. After they found out that their stepmother's sister received an entire house from Andrew, both Borden sisters demanded that they received a rental property that they could rent out to people so they can make money. But now we're going to jump into when, if you know this story, you probably know what happens here, but we're going to jump into the night where things start to get very, very scary within the Borden house. So on August 3rd, 1892, John Morse, Lizzie and Emma's uncle, and he was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business matters with Andrew. Some people have speculated that their conversation, particularly about property transfer, may have ended in very extreme words. In a household that was already pretty tense regarding the daughter, father, and stepmother's relationship, this kind of just added fuel to the fire for everybody. So after this argument... It ended up that everybody kind of simmered down a little bit and ended up going to bed that night. The next morning after breakfast, Andrew and John Morse ended up going to the sitting room after breakfast where they chatted for nearly an hour. Morse left around 8.48 a.m. to go buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece on the other side of Fall River. So you can tell these guys had huge amounts of money. Yeah, it was just simpler times where you could just on a Monday morning go buy two oxen. Um, he was also planning on returning to the boarding home for lunch at noon. Remember that fact. So Andrew then ended up leaving the house for his morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. So although cleaning of the upstairs bedrooms was one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores to do in the house, it turns out that Abby, their stepmother, went upstairs sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. to make the beds up there. At this time, Abby ended up closing the door to one of the rooms, making the bed, and upon opening the door, was hit in the face with a hatchet. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with the hatchet, which cut just above her ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor. This created a contusions in her nose and her forehead. Turns out after that, her killer then struck her multiple times in the back of the head, delivering about 17 blows. That sounds like such overkill to me. I feel like one and done with a hatchet or an axe to like the dome. Yeah, you're not walking away from that. No chance. If anything, you're going to crawl away from that and then you'll bleed out sometime later. 
So Andrew ends up returning to the house around 10.30 a.m., and his keys somehow ended up failing to open the front door, so he knocked for attention. Their maid ended up going to unlock the door, finding it jammed. She would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this upstairs in the bedroom. After they tried to open the door? Correct. Like an evil, like menacing laugh, or like just a fun, playful that is a good question. If it's an e- evil menacing laugh, that is creepy AF. I assume the former. So uh, Lizzie denied later that she was upstairs during this time. After this, the maid ends up leaving the house to go into the back barn to do more chores. And Lizzie heads downstairs and Andrew was complaining that he was very tired and he needed to take a nap, an afternoon nap, which sounds pretty good, right? So Lizzie goes downstairs and he- helps Andrew remove his boots and helps him into his slippers. He ends up laying down on the sofa for a nap inside the living room. After he falls asleep, it's stated that the killer, whoever it was, ends up coming into the front parlor and striking him about 15 to 25 times in the head with said hatchet. The maid ends up coming back into the house around 11.10 a.m., and she hears Lizzie call from uh, the parlor room that Andrew was killed. One of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when attacked. And when they both got into the sitting room, it ends up that he was still bleeding very profusely. So they, the authorities claimed that with that type of story that the killer was still in the area or just, the killing happened extremely recently. I feel like this is one of your biggest fears. Me? Is, is sleeping and then getting hit in the face with... Like a bat or uh, an axe or a hatchet. You've mentioned this before to me, like maybe four or five months ago. It is if they strike you one time. And they allow, like, if you're a psychopath, fucking Michael Myers type killer, you hit me one time and you wait for me to wake up to revel in the moment. After that initial blow, like, you have no idea what's happening to you and your vision's probably blurry as hell. And you're like, or if it's like at nighttime, a dark figure standing in front of you with a fucking axe. No thank you. I never, ever want to experience that. I feel like I would wake up so confused right, before I even felt like the initial pain, and then it would come after, but I would just be like, like, why am I up? Exactly. Uh, What was that? I I, I get why you're afraid of that. And the worst part is there's so much trauma that you can't really do anything. You probably can't swing your arms to fight because that is just complete brain trauma. Right. Or your hands go right to your head to stem whatever bleeding is happening. Right. And then the killer... One more swing, boom, you're probably out cold. Or 14 more swings to equal the 15 that happened to Mr. Andrew. Dr. Bowen, who was the family's physician, ends up running across the street, or he lived right next door, and being the sharp guy that he is, determined that both bodies were dead. So then local authorities came to the scene, and um, that's where kind of the story takes place of who was the killer, and how did they get into the house, how did they break into the house, or were they already in the house? So there were only two murders with this potential, quote-unquote, Lizzie Borden murder house. Correct. And there was, at the time, there was only four people in the house. So there was only the maid, Lizzie, Abby, the stepmother, and Andrew, the father. The other sister was away, and their uncle, John, who came over to discuss business, was riding his oxen across. Um, But he, it was said that he was supposed to come back for lunch at noon, and... The killing of Andrew Borden 
ended up sometime around 11.10 a.m. Kind of close to noon. First thing you look for are alibis, solid alibis. So did this uncle of Lizzie's have a legitimate alibi? Right. I or do was not he know. maybe just maybe buying just, oxen? Yeah, he just circled the block and waited. Yeah, or he bought the oxen, rode it <laughs> back to uh, the the Borden estate, and then because he was super pissed off with Andrew. It was said that their discussion ended in heated words the night before when they were discussing business. And Lizzie's uncle had no ties to the family at all because his sister died. Correct. So it was just his nieces, his two nieces and his brother-in-law. Yeah. Who he, I guess, allegedly hated. So he also didn't really have a relationship with the stepmother. I'm guessing probably not at all unless he came over frequently to discuss business, but it doesn't sound like he did. Or he was banging her on the down low. Whoa. <laughs> and then he wanted... Uh, oh, I see what you're doing here. Yeah, then he wanted Andrew's cash. Ah, and he used that over his head. Blackmailed him a little bit. I'm assuming he would also be the next person in line because they believed in patriarchies back then. And I don't think that Lizzie or her sister would have gotten much money at all. Oh, maybe you're right. Yeah, I'm assuming he would be the closest person next in line. Maybe he was banging the stepmom. I've seen... Many a pornos about that. <laughs> or maybe the estate name was in the stepmom. Her name. Ooh. So he had to kill her and Andrew. Maybe and he was the third, or not the third, the second in line, I guess. You're painting a good picture here. So let me tell you a little bit about the trial and the outcome of everything that happened. Lizzie Borden was the one who people claimed that she committed these murders. So she was put on trial in New Bedford starting on June 5th. 1893, so about one year after the murders kind of took place. Five days before the trial's commencement, this is very interesting, on June 1st, another axe murder occurs in Fall River. Uh, this time, the victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and the Borden's killings were very, very striking, and they were very similar. Turns out, Jose Mello, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894. And it was deemed that the Borden murders and the Manchester murder had nothing to do with each other, and it wasn't the same person. I'm not sure how they came up with that one, but who knows. So by sheer coincidence, there were two hatchet-slash-axe murders in Fall River within... A year of each other. One year of each other. Correct. I'm assuming there wasn't an axe murder in Fall River for the next 25 years. Probably not, but it's kind of interesting to know that the early 1900s, from like 1900 to 1915, that's when axe murders took off in the U.S. Because isn't the um, story about the Velisca Axe Murder House, that happened in like 1911, I believe. And then the Axe Man of Louisiana right. happens in the, it was with, it was the 1900s, um, like 1910s to right the, the 20s right early 20s yeah hmm. but yeah so like axes are very common in any household at that time i'm guessing so it's probably just an easy thing to do it but you're painting also a very good picture that there there's so many ties between the two of those that it's kind of hard to overlook so a prominent point of discussion within the trial was that the hatchet head that was found inside the basement of the house was not convincingly demonstrated to the court for some reason they didn't really show it all that much and it was believed that whoever the killer was took the head of the hatchet off the handle because the handle probably had blood on it if, if you got to think 
bloods on wood, it can start seeping into the fibers of the wood, I'm guessing. So it'll you can't really get it out. But you can probably wipe it clean off of the hatchet head. So that's why they were saying that the handle could not be found and the head was the only thing that they found inside of the basement. I have no idea when fingerprinting took off, but I feel like they took the handle because it had their fingerprints all over it. So if fingerprints were a real thing in the really late 1800s, early 1900s, if like it started to take off. We could have um, found this person like that oh, weekend. Easily. But I think, so what police do is if there's a cold case, they keep evidence. And then in 10 or 15 or 20 years, if they have the technology to go back. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why this dude took the handle. Smart. Yeah, maybe he was like, hey, in 20 years, they might have the the actual means to get my fingerprints off of this fucking axe handle. Another very interesting thing that they testified in court was that there was no bloody clothing found in the entire house the day of the murder. So you got to think if Lizzie did it, she would have had to change extremely quickly and hid those clothes because she was probably covered in blood or somebody else did it entirely. On August 8th, 1892, a couple days after the murders, it was said that a woman who was visiting the Borden house ended up seeing Lizzie burning a dress on the kitchen stove. Lizzie said that the dress had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint on the wall. So this is confirmed. So she was burning a dress. Correct. Oh, this wasn't like just a woman that cried like witch or monster. This was like a Lizzie Borden admitted to this. Yes. If the house had fresh paint, interior or exterior, I feel like this is valid. This could happen. Also, why would you burn a dress that had paint on it? Mm-hmm. You could probably get... You had a maid. Just give it to her. Right. She'd probably get it out if she tried hard enough. Right. I don't know, man. I don't know. So, it turns out that the jury acquitted Borden. Okay. So, she was not found guilty of this murder. So, this is, to this day, a cold case. They have no idea who did it. And the worst part is, I don't think we ever will. I have a couple of questions. <laughs> Uh, just the last thing before I open it up real quick. So it turns out both victims, so Andrew and the stepmom, turns out that their heads had been removed during the autopsy and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial. They passed around the skulls so everybody could look at them. Why? I don't. In what world did that help? Probably just so they could see like the areas where the skull was like fractured just so that like they probably could paint a better picture in their head for the jury. But yeah, I got a couple questions there, Ty. I can hopefully help you out here. I guess the only real question I have, and if you can answer it, I can solve this. Do you know what Lizzie's stature was? Do you know how how tall was she? How Was she strong enough to, to be the one that just absolutely demolished two skulls with a hatchet? I really don't know. I didn't look that up. But if I had a guess, I'm going to guess she's probably like, what, 5'5"? Five, five? That's like a normal height for a woman weighing 130. I feel like most people, men and women back then anyway, knew how to use a hatchet for, right. for multiple reasons. Yep. So, I mean, if she had the means to do it, she also had the motive to do it. I feel like she did not like her father. She definitely did not like her stepmother. Maybe she was entitled to the estate if both of her parents did pass away. Maybe, yeah. Uh, remember, all that tension between their father was giving away properties to the stepmother's sisters, to the stepmother's kids, and they didn't really get anything. So... That's just, I mean, that's your motive right there. I'm also kind of really interested in the fact that why'd she use a hatchet for the, well, I guess that's like a vengeance killing in the head instead of grabbing like the kitchen knife and just stabbing somebody in the stomach or like one of your major organs. It's funny to say, but it's very close to 
Andrew getting his uh, just desserts. Yeah, he I guess was the so. one that chopped off her pigeons' heads, and she buried a hat. She allegedly buried a hatchet in his head. Yeah, so that could be just desserts right there. I'm also if if she did not get caught burning a dress, I would not think she was guilty. Right, I'm with you on that one. I would have rather pointed fingers at the uncle who left. Agreed. Um, and he said he was supposed to come back again for lunch. So maybe he just came back early and he was like, no, you know, fuck this. I've had enough of this guy. That whole ox ride, it was just like stirring in his head. Maybe he just stopped at the local brothel, right? Released a little bit of stress. <laughs> ended up going back at like two o'clock, which was two hours too late. So you have three options here. Lizzie did it. Lizzie's uncle did it. Or it was a random. You guys who are listening, you can let us know what you think uh, happens within the Lizzie Borden house, I am compelled to believe because she was caught burning a dress and because I feel like most people back then knew how to use a hatchet proficiently that Lizzie did it. I feel like she also did it because she knew she couldn't overpower her father. So she waited until he was asleep and he surprised her stepmother when she opened the door. So she had the element of surprise on both occasions. And then you got to think if you're, if you're turning those cogs in your brain and you get a taste for blood maybe you enjoyed it so she killed the stepmom first and she's like you know what i'm gonna keep this going but today they do say that the lizzie borden house is one if not the most haunted property in all of massachusetts um i don't know if i believe that to be true because there's a lot of haunted spots in mass but they claim today that both abby the stepmother and andrew haunt the property and people also claim, of course, they claim that Lizzie comes back every so often and you can like hear her walking around upstairs. And um, if you leave like a hatchet out, sometimes it falls over. But then they also say that you can hear voices when you're in one room from around the corner. You go and check it out. There's nobody in there. Um, but it is a bed and breakfast now in Fall River and you can go there and rent out rooms. The only thing that they don't have, though, is the original furniture is not in the house. It turns out that the original furniture ended up moving to a warehouse at some point and a hurricane, I forgot when it was, ended up flooding that area in Massachusetts because it's so close to the coast um, and all that furniture got washed away. I feel like that's a good thing that they took all of the bloody furniture out of the house before they <laughs> made it uh, Airbnb. Would you uh, Would you take a nap on Andrew? If the couch was still there, would you nap on Andrew's couch? Depends on how hungover I was. If you weren't hungover and he took a nap there and he started getting a really bad headache. Yeah, that would be... That would be so... Well, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, okay, is this like a collective hangover from, from like, <laughs> right. you know, two days ago? Or is this actually um, the residual feeling that Andrew felt? What do you, what do you ch- chalk this up as, uh, the, the board and estate now? Do you think it's more residual haunting or you think it's like an active Andrew and Abby, the stepmother, are actually haunting there? No, it feels like an isolated event, so I would go with residual. Okay. That, honestly, that makes it – both are scary. Both have, like, different aspects of them that make them scary. But sometimes when you think of a residual haunting and those, like, specific moments in time that just replay themselves, can you imagine the footsteps of you here walking into, like, the, the parlor area and, like, stop at wherever the little couch area was? You mentioned that Lizzie laughed mm-hmm. early on when mm-hmm. the maid tried to open the door. So imagine – Staying there at like two in the morning or being there at two in the morning and hearing like a cackle from upstairs and then the the, uh, staircase creaking like, no, nope. (laughs) And then you can hear, I know it was a hatchet, but maybe 
her dragging the hatchet Ugh. a couple stairs behind her. No, you know, I'm I'm a pack up. You guys can keep the a deposit on my room. I'm gonna head over to the local bar and uh, drown my sorrows, if you will. But yeah, so that is episode one for the haunting hour, and we thought we would bring you guys an episode that's kind of close to home for me and Tyler, um, and something that yeah, I think. Uh, Ryan means not close to home, like we're going to murder oh, no, our, no. our uh, <laughs> mother and father with a hatchet, but close to home where we are very near Fall River, where maybe only an hour yeah, if that. outside of Fall River. Yep. Um, is this in the Fall River Triangle or the, um, not the Fall River Triangle, the Bridgewater Triangle? This is not in the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, we got to jump into that episode, though, at some point in our careers here. But Fall River is known to have a lot of haunted spots. Would you spend a night at the Borden Estate, Ty? I would absolutely spend at least one night uh, at the Lizzie Borden house or the Lizzie Borden Estate. Um, I feel like it would be very fun to do. I don't think that whatever spirits are there are super malicious. Again, it's more like you're there at the right time or you emit the right energy where a residual haunt could affect you. Unless people say like, hey, I get scratches and stuff like that. I haven't heard of anything like that. It's more just like the voices and the footsteps and all those all those basic things that you hear about a haunted house. Guys, we hope you enjoyed episode one here and just be in tune for more. We also have an Instagram up, so if you guys want to come follow us there, we are at Brown Brothers Haunting Hour on Instagram. We like to kind of post some pictures that go along with our episodes and kind of just post some, some dumb shit that me and Tyler like to do um, or pictures of just you and me. Oh, yeah, of course. Just to get the likes. <laughs> but uh, let us know if you guys believe that Lizzie did kill her stepmom and her father, or if you think maybe the uncle did, or if you think maybe a wayward serial killer did it. Um, And me and Tyler, you know, we like to kind of side on the paranormal side with our stories. We don't, we're not going to try to dive in too much with true crime just because we know every podcast beats that stuff to death. Pun. Um, but I would like to jump into like alien and stuff to have more fun with other topics. Yeah. Unless the true crime and the serial killings have some supernatural component to them, we will try to stay uh, a little bit away from them. But, uh, other than that, you guys, we hope you guys have a very spooky night.